Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show, Holy Hour of Power. We are here to help you love God, save souls, and slay error. The month of February is dedicated to the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. We love you, save souls. I'm on duty. Terry, what about you? I'm on duty, Jesse. Wow. I can't believe how this week goes by so fast. I mean, you know, we have one focus to help people meet the person of Jesus Christ, get them to heaven, and we're willing to take whatever uh, the consequences are to preach that gospel in season and out. Just today, you've got the late journalist George Newmeyer. He's warning that the clock of Catholic civilization is nearing midnight. Kind of reminds me of Bishop Sheen say, it's, it's, it's closing time, boys, and the ringing of the bell. Seems like that's mm. a, a situation we're in. Number two, <clears throat> Catholic social teachings and the destruction of societies. We're going to talk about what is the, uh, how the Catholic social teachings is really the antidote to our culture, but when you have a culture that worships the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, it, you know, mm. it, it throws us out. But we have to step in with the truth of the gospel. Also, we have a football player who's a, a, a field goal kicker, Catholic, traditional Catholic guy. I think it's inspirational hearing him talk about his Catholic He's playing faith. this weekend in the Super Bowl. Yeah, He's yeah, he'll probably, he'll probably kick a field goal to win the game. That's just how it works yep. with that guy. Uh, so that's what yeah. we have there. And also, Jesse, for a good-to-know file— I don't know if you heard that Tennessee is another state that's going to um, vote to uh, disallow these drag sheen, uh, shows, you know, these drag queen shows. Dra- drag queen? Yeah, they're going to they're gonna knock it out in Tennessee. So another uh, state that says, not on my watch. Also, a good news story. <clears throat> this is really great. In, um, in uh, South Korea, I didn't even know this until they, they have over 1,000 priests ordained there. Uh, they, they're ordaining 22 priests. This year, uh, they have another 22 guys that are deacons, transitional wow. deacons. So vocations in South Korea are booming. And I, I, I have a sense of why they're booming, because I think, uh, I think in the, from my South Korean friends that I've known for years, many of them are very devout, and they really have a reverence for God. If you know what I mean, Jess, they, they really reverence that God is almighty. And when the Catholic faith was preached there in, in South Korea— they connected with it, and I think uh, it's just another good news story that I wanted to share. Yeah, here's a couple of other uh, news items. Mm-hmm. Hong Kong Catholics now are Nobel nominees. A bipartisan congressional commission chaired by Representative Chris Smith, Republican for New Jersey, right. announced Thursday the nomination of six Hong Kongers, yeah. including Cardinal Joseph Zen. Yep. Yeah. And jailed Catholic media mogul Jimmy Lai. What a guy. For the Nobel Peace Prize because of their efforts in the yes. cause of human rights. God bless oh, them. Oh, man. I'm also, tired. the Associated Press <clears throat> added an entry to its, to its style guide directing <laughs> journalists to put the term crisis pregnancy center in scare quotes and to use instead... <laughs> anti-abortion center. Oh my gosh. To con- to convey that the center's general aim is to prevent abortions. Mm-hmm. So the Associated Press style guide also tells writers do not use the terms pregnancy resource centers or pregnancy counseling centers, branding those descriptions as potentially misleading. Wow. That's the cult- that's the culture we're, of the, the Biden uh, yeah, the culture of Biden administration at work, Terry. We are in a war of words and <clears throat> genetic engineering of words and uh, wow, that that's a good example of it, Jess. Anything else? Absolutely. Yeah, here's another one. Good. Congress will begin investigating the weaponization 
of the federal government against Catholics and other pro-life Americans this Thursday. The investigation will operate under the House Judiciary Committee and be co-chaired by Ohio Republican Representative Mm -hmm. Jim Jordan, focusing on the Biden administration's targeting of pro-lifers through the freedom of access to clinic entrances. Hey, Justin, oh, and me, finally, before you do one that, more, one that yeah. ties into that, yeah. our good friends at Calvary Chapel up in Northern California, they wouldn't close their churches during yep. during the uh, COVID pandemic. And uh, the, the they've just dealt with with discovery. They're suing the the, uh, the state and the government for uh, watching through their smartphones. They tracked everybody who was going into the church and they kept these records kind of like what China does to their people. And now it's all coming out, Jesse, that we've been tracked because of the COVID pandemic. And the Calvary Chapel has represented, as I heard the attorney on today, saying that we're going to sue the government for a privacy issue. I thought that, that is awesome. Good. God bless them. Yeah, Calvary and Chapel, God, ble- God bless And them. God bless John MacArthur too, Terry. He's, yeah, there's another I one. mean, there's another guy that's yep. been standing up to these, these uh, yep. medical bullies as well. Yep. Here's the last thing I want to mention is that the uh, numerous journalists yes. have fomented a public outcry against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. <laughs> so it's, it's manufactured outrage, and we're exposing it. Yes. The media is exposing Ron DeSantis or accusing him of instituting a bizarre, invasive new practice of requiring female athletes to provide information about their menstrual cycles on, on school health forms. <laughs> Condemn when him jur- for common sense. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. When journalist Tim Corney saw the outrage, oh. he says he looked up the athlete uh, health forms yeah. of the first two liberal cities in, in Democrat states. I thought of, and sure enough, New York City and San Francisco require exactly that info. No surprise. So Ron, Ron DeSantis is requiring something that, that's happening in, in uh, New York and San Francisco as well. Also, Terry, our friend Mark Houck. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, there's a beautiful picture on him. It's, uh, it's on social media. Mark Houck is back in, in front of the abortion uh, clinic. With his family. With his family. It shows Mark. In fact, let me, I'm looking at the picture. I saw it too. He's there with, uh, with, with six of his seven kids and his wife. And it says, it's, uh, it, the Kingsmen. Yeah. That's the name of his, uh, apostolate. apostolate. It's called Houck's Family. Triumphant return, returning to the abortion mill, was like a homecoming of sorts. Yes, being with all my children and wife was a tremendous witness of the local pro-life community. We were united in our sufferings and sadness. We remain so in our triumph and return to mission. God bless Mark Houck, Terry. He's perseverant. Yeah, what a what a man. Yep, I love it. I hope he inspires more of us to be at the clinics to pray. Yes. Hey, let me share the, the first reading real quick. That's a good one. A lot, lot of spiritual warfare in today's first Ooh, reading. Oh, yeah. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 and following. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all animals that the Lord had made. The serpent asked the woman, Did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, it is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat of it or even touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not mm-hmm. die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's lowercase g. Yeah. Who know what is good and what is evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food 
pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. When they heard the sound of the Lord moving about in the garden at the breezy time of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple things I uh, want to mention here. The God. serpent is, is, is the devil. We all know that from the book of Revelation chapter 12. And also, when the devil says, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? What is the devil doing? He's, ask, he's, a, he's asking Eve, or he's intimating to Eve, question God's authority. Exactly. Then where it says, the woman answered the serpent, uh, here's a practical piece of advice. Don't talk to demons yeah. and don't talk to agents of demons like witches, sorcerers, mm. uh, you know, uh, Satanists, uh, occultists, shamans. Don't talk to anybody who cavorts with demons. Most especially don't talk to a demon yourself by the Ouija board and, and other ways to mm. do so. And it, it's uh, it says here, uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will you certainly will not die here. The devil gives a half truth. Okay, he's basically saying God's lying to you. He's giving a half truth. While it's true that Adam and Eve didn't die immediately, what they did, they died the death of their soul. They fell into mortal sin. The devil didn't tell them that. Then it goes on to say, um, uh, it says, uh, the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God's and know what is good and what is evil. Well, what do we see there? That's the sin of the New Age movement. Mm -hmm. Follow the New Age movement or, or Mormonism. Follow Mormonism and you men can become gods, little gods. The New Age movement. Yep. You have this God within and you could become one with everything and everything with one. That's a, it's, a, it's a lie of the New Age movement and Mormonism. And then finally, it says that they were both ashamed and, uh, and, and, and uh, they were hiding from God. What that means is that they realize now that they, their conscience pricked them yeah. and they knew that they were separated from God through mortal sin. And that's why they felt this shame. Uh, and why did they feel this, uh, feel this shame? Because Eve had lust of the eyes. First Timothy 2, 1 John 2.15, excuse me. Lust of the eyes. She wanted something that was forbidden to her. And instead of asking her husband, like the books uh, written by Stephanie Gordon, ask your husband. She should have said, honey, should we, God told us not to do this. Should we listen to God? She should have asked her husband. The problem is a lot of women don't ask their husband. Uh, and as a result of that, they get in trouble. And as a result of that, sometimes when they do ask their husband, they have husbands who are not well formed in the Catholic faith as well. Well said. When we come back, we'll start off with Fulton Sheen. Then we'll get right into the late journalist George Newtmeyer's warning about the clock of Catholic civilization is nearing midnight. Don't forget, Jesse Romero, Johnny Romero, will be at the Men's Conference, 17th of June, uh, here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. You can register by going online or calling us at 877-526-2151. There's still room for the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up in March. Go to bmdr.org and sign up right online. We'll be back with more with Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. I want to bring in the smartest guy. Full Sheen ahead. It seems, Jesse, every time I quote Fulton Sheen, he seems to be speaking to our culture. Exactly. I mean, it's amazing. The guy just nails it. He says this, our intellects do not make the truth. 
They attain it and they discover it. And I think, you know, we live in a world that says you have my truth, you have your truth, and that's how it works. They don't believe in objective truth. And when you have people like that, then there's no boundaries. There's no guidelines. And so you have chaos. And that's what we're experiencing today. Precisely. Terry, a good friend of the show, George Newmeyer. Uh, oh, God he, rest you, his soul. Yeah. Have mercy on his soul, Lord. Yep. He was... Um, he was he was one of terror, he was one of the man. I would consider him one of the great uh, Catholic investigators. Him, well, he expo- Hitchcorn, he exposed all Boris, the problems there, in the church, McCarrick yes. and others. Yeah, there's some of these some of these men that we know are friends of ours. They, they're great Catholic investigative Fairly, reporters. Yeah. Uh, you know, Christine Niles. Uh, He's another just one. A, another one. So late journalist George Newmeyer warned: the clock on on Catholic civilization is nearing midnight. George Newmeyer's tireless attempts to sound the alarm on the corruption rotting the Catholic Church must not be lost in the ether. Amen. George Newmeyer, author, journalist, and senior editor, I would call him, uh, I would call him the internal affairs of the Catholic Church. Yeah. He wrote for the, the American Spectator. He became the third high-profile high Catholic to die in, 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 in as many as a few weeks, Terry. Yes, it's true. Newmeyer suddenly perished on Thursday, January 19th after con- contracting malaria in the West African nation of the Ivory Coast, where he was undertaking research for an upcoming project on the Catholic Church in Africa. The year began on a dismal note with Pope Benedict XVI's death on December 31st. Two weeks later, the conservative Australian Cardinal George Pell unexpectedly succumbed in Rome after a routine hip operation. But at the loss of Benedict, after a decade of frailty, and the seclusion was deeply upsetting, and if Pell's sudden death, days after he authored a stern rebuke of the Vatican's neo-Marxist interpretation of faith and morals, was dismaying, Newmeyer's premature demise was distinctly unsettling. All three, Pope, Cardinal, and journalists, have bequeathed a message of urgency, nay emergency, regarding the perilous road the church is treading, a warning that should not be buried with, th- with them. Oh, absolutely. On Friday, January 20th, it was reported that Newmar had died. He had been in Africa since December 26th, visiting various parishes in and around Abid John. Abid John. He noted that these were conspicuously run down and or poorly attended, a testimony to both decolonization and the decline of the post-Vatican II church. Newmeyer never publicly disclosed that he had contracted malaria, on Sunday, January 15th, he mentioned having been violently ill the day before with a form of food poisoning, but confirmed that he was feeling better. His last known communication appears to have been at approximately 6.30 a.m. Um, on Tuesday, January 17th, on Wednesday, his colleagues were worried when they uncharacteristically hadn't heard from him. On Thursday, he was dead. In the preceding weeks, Newmeyer appears to have been genuinely concerned for his life and bantered back and forth on Twitter with another user about getting whacked. Wow. When his phone was snatched on the streets of Abidjan by a passing motorist, Newmeyer joked that he'd almost cried out, quote, are you at the USCCB? Close quote. <laughs> <Funny. That's laughs> the, exactly. The, he, he made life miserable. Because he exposed all these yeah. sexual abuses, and it, yeah. it used, United States Catholic, Catholic Catholic Conference of Bishops didn't want to hear that. Yeah, and here's the meat of it. Here's the here's the meat of it. Here's here's his investigative reporting. Newmeyer clearly intended this in jest. 
He knew he was no favorite among the U.S. bishops owing to his dogged pursuit of the corrupt and the compromised. He was always prepared to name names and get his hands dirty. In 2018, he revealed the location where serial sex abuser, pedophile, and disgraced former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick was apparently in hiding after his fall from grace. A cushy mansion allegedly owned by the Archdiocese of Washington and where auxiliary Bishop Mario Dorzenville was also supposed to be living. When Washington Post journalist Elizabeth Brunig also repeatedly dropped by looking for answers, a representative of the Archdiocese of Washington complained to her editor. But with the cat truly out of the bag, McCarrick was hurriedly banished to safer quarters in a distant Kansas friar. In the middle of nowhere. I visited that place. <laughs> it's, it's nowhere. Go ahead. Last year, Newmeyer was giving Bishop Barry Nestout of the Diocese of Richmond, Virginia, mm -hmm. a run for his money. In 2018, Nestout, an ally to McCarrick, appointed one Reverend Wayne Bill, Ball, excuse me, oh. Ball, as pastor of St. Augustine Catholic Church in Chesterfield, Virginia. According to the Richmond Times-Dispatch in December 2002, while pastor of Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Norfolk, Virginia, Reverend Ball pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor sex offense after he was arrested with another Richmond man when they were sprung together in a car parked at a local park. Bishop Nestout did not make parishioners aware of this when he appointed Reverend Ball as pastor. That's terrible. George Newmeyer was understandably appalled when the U.S. bishops at their fall general assembly just last November actually elected Bishop Nestow what? to chair the committee on the protection of children and young people. Put the fox in charge of the chicken coop. Go ahead. George Newmeyer <clears throat> demanded that Bishop Nestow resign or be removed from the position. Oh, my gosh. Bishop Nestow never responded to Newmeyer's repeated request for comment, and his press secretary similarly stonewalled him. Newmeyer's, Newmeyer eventually turned up at the rectory of the Richmond Cathedral, the Sacred Heart, and Bishop Nestow himself answered the door. The prelate still refused to provide any explanation, far less a justification for his scandalous and sneaky appointment of Reverend Ball. The next day, Bishop Nestow promptly hit back with a letter signed by the diocese business manager banning George Newmeyer for life. Unbelievable. He, he's been banned in so many churches. It cracks me <laughs> From up. entering the cathedral. Yeah. Reverend Ball supposedly took umbrage at George Newmeyer's line of questioning and sicked his lawyer on him. The lawyer was apparently John Brownlee, the attorney who represented former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell when he was brought up on 14 counts of public corruption. In fact, during his trial, McDonnell was reportedly rooming with, with Reverend Ball at the rectory of St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Richmond, Virginia. Unbelievable. This God, is really important man. right here, Jesse. Continue, because this is yeah. where it really says it. Go ahead. But George Newmeyer's overarching concern, one he worried was falling on deaf ears, yep. was the role uh, that disgraced, defrocked Cardinal McCarrick Thank may you, still be George. playing behind the scenes. Thank you, George. Despite being squirrel, <laughs> squirreled away at a Midwest rehab center for troubled priests. And even while he faces criminal charges, he feared that McCarrick would play a role in choosing the next pope. And he was right. 
McCarrick was always a mover and a shaker, a wheeler and a dealer, a globetrotter and a pope maker. <laughs> yep. He enjoyed the, the ear of successive presidents, including Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, <clears throat> and George Bush, who once described McCarrick as my friend and a decent, decent man. <laughs> Leading up to the 2013 conclave, despite being beyond the age of voting, McCarrick reportedly lobbied for Jorge Bergoglio. He's also likely to have played a, a crucial role in the hashing out of the disastrous China Vatican And Jesse, Vatican if I could just Accord. jump in, on YouTube, he bragged about doing that on YouTube. So if you think this is just make-believe, you can actually hear him say and brag that, yeah, I was influential in picking the next pope. Yeah, I think he was at Gonzaga University. He was, he was at the Jesuit time. place, of course. Yeah. So, um, so whenever whatever, the, the, yeah. whatever the full story behind Neumeier's apparent whirlwind, contraction of, 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 of and death from malaria mm -hmm. and whatever reasons he believed he was quote tangling with such dangerous forces close quote Neumeier's tireless attempts to sound the alarm of the corruption wrought in the Catholic Church must not be lost in the ether yeah. because the legacy of McCarrick is a pestilence That's what he and is. there are still too many prelates afloat who are not only who are not only never held to account over the role in covering for McCarrick's tracks but have been elevated to positions of influence and power under Francis's pontificate. Yep. If Christ's shepherds continue to bury their heads in the sand while Teddy's nephews, as Neumeier would call them, defile the church and their anti with their anti-Catholic agenda, mislead the faithful, and plot and scheme to determine the next conclave, God have mercy on us all. Amen. Terry, my comment is this. Yep. Uh, my friend George Neumeier, yeah. he was a faithful son of the church. He was. He was a relentless investigator with the goal of exposing the wolves in the church in order to help in purifying the bride of Christ. Yeah. For me, he was like a police internal investigator within the church. His motive was love for Holy Mother Church. And I hope and pray that he may have heard the words from our Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. And you know, Jesse, I'll never forget him walking up to cardinals, um, you know, and, and bishops at in Rome at where they're going to dinner and saying, can I ask you an inconvenient question? <clears throat> and many of them were looking at him, and you could see their faces like, oh, no, it's George. You know, like, they, oh, we don't want to talk to you. Yeah. you see, he was a thorn in the side of modernism, and I thank him for what he did. And <clears throat> I think we, he was at the, the uh, conference we were in Baltimore, if you recall. He gave yes, a he was rounding there. To, talk yes. to the uh, audience there. I, like I said, <clears throat> may God have mercy on his soul because— he was one of those faithful sons who had one thing. He wanted to clean the church up because he knew that the mission of the church would not be done properly if we were too worldly. And that's exactly what he found. Yeah, Terry. Uh, and uh, also, George Neumeier, he, you know, with that phrase, the hand on the clock of Catholic oh, yeah. civilization is almost at midnight. Oh, yeah. Truer words could not have been spoken. But uh, again, Jesus tells his apostles in the book of Acts that it is not for us to know the times and moments. We're, ju we're just set by God's authority, as it says in, in, in the book of Romans. Yeah. Do not let evil defeat you. Instead, conquer evil with good. And that describes George Neumeier. It does. Also, the Bible says in the book of Romans, remember, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
we have to remember that we are not in the business of meeting out justice. We're just in the business of exposing the darkness and turning people to the light. But God is the one that's going to mete out vengeance and justice. And Jesse, don't forget the uh, private letter published about Benedict XVI. Yeah. You want to tell them that one? Because <clears throat> that's very important. Yeah. Pope Benedict posthumously a letter that came out. It said this, quote, the power of the Antichrist is expanding. Wow. Close quote. And the Pope, uh, Benedict, he, he, he urged people to pray. Mm-hmm. He said this, quote, that the Lord will give us strong shepherds who will defend his church in this hour of need from the power of evil. Close quote. Wow. And uh, in the newly released book, whose publication Benedict planned for after his death, the former pontiff claimed that the priesthood is on the verge of collapse. Wow. And that in several Catholic seminaries, homosexual clubs operate more or less openly. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. There's such a good article. Yeah. Read it all, folks. When we come back, we'll talk about some Catholic social teachings here on the Terry and Jesse Show. In spite of all that, Jess and I, we're too blessed to be stressed. Yeah. We're too anointed to be disappointed. Absolutely. And if hope was money, both of us would be billionaires. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Stay with Not the in family. this world. Not in this world. Not in this world. Heck nope. no. Stay with the family. We'll be right back with more on the Terry and Jesse Show. Wow, that last segment, Jesse. Uh, you know, George Newhouse, what a what a, a great man to uh, expose error with truth. And uh, he did that. Uh, he, he was really a, a man that uh, helped us expose the what I would call the cancer in the church. Yeah, that's right. So let's get on to our next topic, Jess. Terry, there's an error in uh, in, in with with the uh, liberal thought. A lot of, there's what's called individualism, oh, yeah. and then you also have collectivism. Yeah, individualism those, are is yeah. that those people? I don't need no authority. I don't need a church. I don't need anything. Right, my truth. I don't. I don't need the police. Me, myself, and I. Yep. Unholy Trinity. Yep. <laughs> then you got collectivism, which is another error. Which is, hey, let the government ha- handle everything. Everything. Let yep. Big Daddy government run everything. Yep. That's called collectivism. So this article, it talks about both errors mm-hmm. using the lens of Catholic social teaching and the destruction of societies. One of the demands of Catholic social teaching is that there should be societies. And one of the most obvious features of contemporary life is that it is destructive of societies. Right. One of the demands of Catholic social is that there is that there should be societies, groups of human beings who gather to promote the common good family. Yeah, that's uh, Catholicism 101. Right really? <laughs> or to enjoy a good that can only be had or can best be had if we are in groups, especially if we're united in kinship, friendship, a common love or the worship of God. And one of the most obvious features of content of contemporary life is that it is destructive of societies. Uh, many are its weapons of social destruction. Individualism is one. Whether it's in the form as a pursuit of wealth, ambition, or power, or in its form as sexual action with, with, without regard to marriage and the welfare of children. In other words, me, myself, and I. Yep. Or a Luciferian uh, complexes, mm-hmm. uh, my will be done. Collectivism, the twin brother that individual, individualism pretends to despise, is another Yep. As the state here. So this, here, this is what collectivism is. Okay? Yep. Here's the way you define it. Collectivism as the state attempts to ameliorate the social dissolution it has helped to cause in the first place mm-hmm. by means that spread solve on the wounds 
but exacerbate and prolong the disease. In short order, people no longer remember how many and various various were the things that they used to do for themselves, their kin, their neighbors, and their fellow parishioners, and the family. Both the foundational human society and the principal end for which we establish many of our societies, it grows frail and sickly. Why is this? Because we want the state to take care of everything. Yep. So the church's teachings regarding sex and marriage are not ineradicable from her social teachings. Generally, as you may discover for yourself, if you read, for example, the encyclicals of Pope Leo XIII, to sell yourself as a proponent of her social teachings while you deny or disparage what she says about fornication, adultery, homosexuality, abortion, and divorce, is to be selling vitamins laced with arsenic. Mm. The vitamins are good, but the arsenic will, sh- will make sure there are fewer bodies for the, for the vitamins to invigorate. Or it is like a building a house without a foundation. It will fall in the next storm. As I want to note here, though, is the withering away of social life in general, a withering that has struck the church and is by now of long duration. And here I turn from, uh, for an exemplar to my boyhood parish in Archibald, Pennsylvania. The, the author writes, When I was nine years old in 1967, just as the dark clouds were brewing while the terrible storms had already struck elsewhere, the, store, the short stretch of road called Church Street was from September to the beginning of June. A beehive of activity. Mm -hmm. We had masses every morning, two at least. And that meant that the altar boy, whose turn it was, had to get there by 6.45 a.m. Not a problem, though. The parish school was across the street. And both church and school were right in the center of the most densely populated neighborhoods in the borough. Yet not in the traffic of Main Street. By 8 a.m., 400 children, 50 in each of eight classes, mm-hmm. would be gathering in the church or would be hanging around the playground, a blacktopped area next to the school. That's how it was. They weren't the only young people either. The Burroughs High School was catty corner to the parish school, for at that time, the Tri-Bureau Consolidated School District had not yet destroyed the small school in favor of a new complex far away from almost everybody. Church, parish, School, public high school, nor were the schools antagonistic to one another. We had on the third story the basketball court. The public school students used and teachers in the public school made sure that their Catholic students trooped over to the parish school once a week Mm. after hours for religious instruction. Yet that wasn't all. On the other side of the playground, the Knights of Columbus had their building where you could go to buy some candy or soda And those 500 young people weren't cooped up inside their buildings all the time and then shipped homes in buses. We had a real hour for lunch. And most of us walked to and from school. I remember those days. Oh, my gosh. That meant that 500 young people five days a week for nine months a year would be there, uh, would be here and there, getting a sandwich at the luncheonette, which no longer exists, or stopping for for a treat to pick up a comic book at one of the of the two drugstores, which no longer exist, mm-hmm. or ducking in for a haircut into one of the two barber shops, it's which no, no longer exist. In general, being themselves, small persons as members of families that might never get together except for those those small persons, and that doesn't get to the informal play that they would get on their they would get going on their own. 
no small part of the life of a healthy child, and no contemptible feature of a real society. Before you go on, Jesse, I just want to say we use the term subsidiarity as Catholic social teachings, and what you're describing is that, because it's the small mom-and-pop shop, it's everything, you know, centered on the local community. Big government has no need to be in there. And that's how it used to be. That's not how it is now. We know that all those places, well, you're going to see in this article that everything's gone. Why? Because they replaced it with big government. Let's continue, Jess. The parish school, school was brought up by the borough. Mm-hmm. After enrollment suddenly collapsed and the order of religious sisters that used to run the school, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, yep. dried up. Yep. Having got the self-actualization bug, I remember the school. Yeah, the school had to charge tuition, which which the spoiled parishioners were unwilling to pay. And besides, their taxes were getting high to pay for the new public school. Yep. And there were fewer children anyway. For who wants children when you can have whatever? Yep. Now, so now St. Thomas Aquinas School is the borough building, and the powers have tacked cheap entryways onto the door and the side doors along with a loud sign with no sense of irony or sadness, proclaiming the Archibald Historical Society. (laughs) The Knights of Columbus building was torn down to extend the parking lot, which is where the playground was. The public high school, a handsome building, was torn down long ago, and a little garden where the sort of headstone marks were, were, were its place once was. The beehive of activity is no more. Done. It's not that it's moved somewhere else. Nowhere in town will you find a shadow of the social life that once throve just by the natural action of the children and their parents gathering around those places that were most important to them. Almost every social innovation in my time, it seems, has had the same sort of eviscerating effect. The firehouse a few hundred yards away from the home, from our home used to host dances with the music provided by local rock bands. That was already a corruption mm-hmm. of what had been. Because the noise, the typical darkness, and the strange angry lust of many of the songs made it unthinkable that people of all ages would gather there. For when sex seems to be easy and free, it exacts an exorbitant cost on many, a wholesome human activity. Those becoming dangerous, and the danger then imperils them, and death comes soon after. Well said. We had a drive-in movie in our town, but the movies after, around 1965, turned sharply away from what a family might watch without worry. And the behavior of young people in their cars was, well, no longer decent or mirthful. Some of the drive-ins then turned to porn to stay in business, which was like taking opium to remedy your alcoholism. In short order, they too were a thing of the past. And finally, Jane Jacobs, raised in my county, suggested... In the death and life of the great American cities, written in 1961, that children outdoors, not controlled directly by adults, but under their general and informal supervision, were essential to a thriving city life. Where there are no children, because no one's having them, Hmm. or because the state has absorbed more and more of their time, or because the public square bristles with grave moral hazards, you can talk all you want about Catholic social teaching there will be no real society for it to apply to. That should not be a hard lesson for us to learn. You know, this article really just says it all, why um, our culture has gone chaos. I mean, think about, I said this, 110 million people out of the 330 million in our country have sexually transmitted diseases. See, the culture went, was, became uh, a sex rock and roll. I mean, it became yeah. corrupt. And so we have all these people 
with these diseases that we're having to spend $16 billion a year taking care of them because of immoral life. This is why the Catholic Church has the answer to the cultural woes. It's called live the Catholic faith. That's right. We got a culture of chaos and a culture of death right now. And uh, the, only, the only thing that can save our culture is a return to Roman Catholic uh, 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 Christian ethics. Oh, yeah. That's the only thing that can save the country. And the two errors that Dr. Anthony Esselin, he pointed out in his article, is individualism. That comes from secular humanism. Yeah. Okay? That's uh, me, myself, and I, okay? Yep. Narcissism. Yep. You know, the, the, uh, you know it's, it's my world. Uh, I don't share it with anybody else. Right. That comes from secular humanist pagan thought, okay? Godlessness. Then the second error that Dr. Anthony Esselin points out is collectivism. Well, that's a code word for socialism, it which is. is a code word for communism, where the government becomes your daddy, or, 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 or I dare say the government becomes your god, and they tell you what to do and how to do it every step of the way. Both of them come from liberal, woke uh, you know, individuals who are godless. Both are dangerous to the Catholic faith. The Catholic faith wants to build a culture of life. And what's our goal? Our goal is to establish the social kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ in the hearts of every individual person and in and, uh, and, and the hearts of every nation. And that's what we need to do. And we're going to be, uh, now when we come back from our break, we're going to be talking about an NFL Harrison uh, Buckner. He finds Catholicism, faith, and friendship. This is a little clip where he's speaking about how he fell in love with Jesus and his church. And I wouldn't be surprised this weekend. I'm not going to be watching it, but some people are going to be watching their Super Bowl goal game. I wouldn't be surprised if he kicks a field goal for, to win the game because this guy's like Mr. Clutch. So, but what I like most about him is he's willing to talk about his Catholic faith. Absolutely. Yeah, we need more men like him. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back after a quick break on the Terry and Jesse Show. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. I'd rather be a child of God Amen. than the king of this world. Oh. This is a Terry and Jesse Show. We want you to hear a little clip. <laughs> it's, uh, it's from a, a, a good Catholic who plays in the NFL. In fact, he's going to be playing uh, weekend. This, this weekend in the Super Bowl here in Phoenix, Arizona. His name, he's a kicker. His name is Harrison Butker, and he's playing in this weekend's Super Bowl. One of the things I like about him, Terry, he's an acolyte at the Latin Mass. I love that. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? <laughs> As an NFL kicker. Oh, here it comes. Okay, we'll keep talking for a minute. We got a little glitch on our computer to play that clip. What I like about him, Jesse, is he's willing to speak up about his Catholic faith. And I look at all the kids who look at these sports figures and look up to them. And uh, sometimes these guys just don't have moral lives. Well, there, here's one just right. the opposite, man. He's a model Catholic, loves the traditional Latin mass, loves his Catholic faith. He's active with the Knights. I mean, uh, he's a good moral example for young men to follow. So if we're ready to play that clip, not yet. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah, and uh, Harrison Butker He's an American football kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm -hmm. uh, he plays for the NFL. And he, he played college football oh boy. At, at Georgia. Uh, he had a, and you'll see when you watch the video, it was a fellow football player that evangelized him. Again, this is, 
This is what we call iron sharpens iron. Exactly. One man sharpens another. It, it, see, the, another football player that he respected uh, started, to, he, he knew that he was kind of a fallen away Catholic, started catechizing him, befriending him, and evangelizing him, yep. and showed him a different side of the Catholic faith that he never saw before. Yep. This is the this is the the important area of, of evangelization through relationships. Yeah, let's play it now. Here you're gonna love it. Here it comes. As an NFL kicker, there's a ton of pressure. I pride myself on the hard work. The atmosphere in Arrowhead Stadium is unbelievable. Once I'm in the situation, it's just focusing in and locking in and blocking out everything. I'd say as a young kid, I grew up a soccer fan, but then slowly the, the love for football, you know, kept increasing. When I started playing in high school, my goal was definitely to get to the NFL. So I got about four or five Division I scholarship offers. I'm so glad I became a Yellow Jacket. There's a lot of great memories. Butker, straight, and nails it! We were playing Georgia in Athens, and it was a 53-yard field goal to go to overtime, and then we later won the game in overtime. He has been clutch all year. So I grew up Catholic. We would go to Mass every Sunday. <gasps> I was probably only Christian in name. I started questioning, is this real? Why are we doing this? I just had a lot of questions, and I don't know how firmly I believed in, in Jesus. And, uh, and then this, this kid showed up. Grant came into my life and introduced me to all these truths of the Catholic faith. I started football second grade, loved football. You know, you see these guys playing, you're like, I want to be like them. We were doing something called inside drill. They called him the Nigerian nightmare, Fumba Kamalu, and he just ate my lunch. My head is like, you know, a smack, like a whip. The nurses came up. Apparently the look on her face was, you might want to say goodbye to your son. What they did is they just kind of cut open right here. I, I should have been dead is kind of the, the end result, the diagnosis is. Uh, it was about less than 1% chance coming out like this. And then, I, but I was like, where's God in all this kind of thing? God was using that in such a huge way to start to guide me to where he needed me to be. It's helped me a lot grow in my faith. So after I got hurt, you know, of course, I'm not a running back linebacker anymore. I was like, well, I want to be a punter. So I just went head first into punting, set my sights on playing at Georgia Tech. I was in the stadium kicking in the summer, and like Grant just shows up and like he doesn't have a shirt on and he's like trying to take my footballs. Initially, he kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I introduced myself as like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Grant. I'm going to be able to try to walk on to the team. I got the vibe like, I don't care who you are. That was fine. I had a really good tryout again, and when I made it, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, but then, that, you know, the work started after that. Um, and so punters and kickers, we do our own routine. We have a lot of time. You know, we just started clicking and talking a lot, especially about Catholic stuff. With Grant's joy and his happiness, I could see that there was something that was driving him. And I was like, what is up with, with this kid? Uh, so slowly we, we started having conversations. I was asking him a lot of questions. He was this Catholic guy that was really proud to be Catholic. Grant got me to join the Knights. I really enjoyed the fraternal aspect of these Catholic men coming together. Part of bringing, you know, having them in the Knights and stuff was the focus on Catholic fraternity. 
good men searching for the truth and, and growing in holiness together. And we wouldn't be afraid to talk about the hard topics. There was just so much reason to the teachings of the faith and uh, went to confession and that was when it like really changed my life. And I remember junior year, I was working on being a better man. I just was like, you know, I, I could be a priest. It was a pretty terrifying yes, but I think God's asked me to take this step and not gonna say no. It's very inspiring. Brand had the great opportunity to play senior year of college football, but he stepped away from that and said, you know, God, uh, I, I need to answer my vocation. I'm very thankful for Grant for bringing me back to the Catholic faith. That's completely changed my life because before that, my whole life was football, but my Catholic faith is more important. The football environment is very difficult. At the end of the day, if I'm working my hardest, his will is gonna, gonna prevail and um, I'm gonna be obedient to that no matter what happens. It's a beautiful thing to be able to see that growth. If I can do this as a priest, I mean, that'd be cool. I helped him, he helped me. That's the whole point of being a knight, to have a good Catholic fraternal relationship. Wow, what a way to end a, a weekend of shows, a week, a week of shows, Jesse, here at Virgin Most Powerful. Wow. I figured you'd like it's it. It's so inspirational to see young men who have got it. You know what I'm saying? They got it. They, they, got they it. know who age, Jesus age, Christ is at a young age. Jess, yeah. let's be honest. Not everybody's that way. And this is oh. what's so beautiful. Their example should lead others to what they discovered. You know, Terry, since the Super Bowl is this week, and let me yeah. give an analogy of the, okay. uh, for for all the, the my uh, brothers out there who are you know football players and football fans. Yeah, I look at football this way: Christ is the quarterback, mm -hmm. and lay people. The Catechism actually says it: CCC eight nine eight nine nine. It says lay people are in the front line of the church. So Christ is our quarterback. Yep. Lay people are in the front line of the church. I directly quoted the catechism. So we're linemen. Yeah. Lay people are, that means we're meant to protect right. and defend Holy Mother Church. Amen. That's what the front line does in football. Yep. They protect and defend the quarterback. Yep. Who are our quarterbacks? Our priests, our bishops, the Pope. Yep. These are the quarterbacks. Now, also, here's another football analogy. Okay. Back in the year 2000, Pope John Paul II said, open your hearts wide to Christ. Mm -hmm. So as, as lay people, we're also called to be wide receivers. There you go. Wide receivers. And let our priests, our bishop, the Pope, Jesus Christ, I dare say, they're going to throw the faith that is the faith is a football, our Catholic faith. Once you open your heart wide to Christ, as JP2 said, then catch that football of faith, your Catholic faith, because Christ entrusts you with that football of faith. And what are we called to do? Run to win. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Run to win. And what's the goal? Heaven. Nothing yeah. less. And I love when he said this, that my Catholic faith is more important than sports. I can remember in my own life, and Jesse, I'm going to put you on the spot, brother, when I've realized as a young man 
I was a teenager when I realized, you know, I always wanted to play baseball. I tried out for the Oakland A's. And, and you I, almost made it. Yeah, I almost made it, but I didn't. But my point was, I realized when I was about 16 years old that sports was not number one. My number one was to my relationship with Christ. I'm going to ask you on the spot. When you were in boxing, and you were working so hard, when did you realize that that's not your end-all game? Probably at the age of 26 when I met Paul Clay. There you and, go. Uh, that relationship uh, completely turned my world upside down. When he introduced me uh, to the person of Christ at a deeper level than yes. I ever understood. Yes. And see, and this is what we all do now. See, iron sharpens iron. This is what Virgin Most Powerful Radio is about. And I just want to thank everybody. This past month, we just celebrated our fifth year on the air. And I got to thank everybody because we couldn't do it without you. That's why we put on these conferences that are coming up. We're going to actually have some catechetical programming that's going to be available on our website in the next month or two that for, for children. We're really developing resources so that we can help families worship Jesus Christ Amen. in their Catholic faith. Wow, Jesse, that, that was my favorite part of the week. That video just inspired me because I know young people will see him as a model. That's right. And, and uh, by the way, I just want to mention, Terry, that this morning on Jesus 901, I did a deep dive criticism on what happened at the Grammy Awards. So if you want to see from a Good. Catholic point of view why the Grammy, you should not watch the Grammy, the Emmy Awards, and why it's so evil, listen to Jesus 911 this morning because... I, uh, oh, good, I, I dis we dismantled exactly what happened there. This is nothing but satanic. Awesome. And also our good friend, Bishop Joseph Strickland, was on Raymond Arroyo last night. And I would encourage people to watch about a half hour of interviewing Bishop Strickland. And boy, he nailed it. Oh, and we got Bible with the Barbers coming up next. Mary Danielle, can, are you there in your, in your studio? I'll give you a plug, my love. Well, there's my beautiful wife. What are you going to be talking about today? I'm going to be talking about the church. Oh, that's a good thing. And yeah, I, I heard you talking about the church and these two young men who played football and are now yes. um, on their way to becoming priests. And yes. pray for them that they will persevere. And what is the church? And um, I actually want to focus on the church as the body of Christ. Awesome. Stay with us yeah. after this show. The Bible with the Barbers will be on. And if you can't get it on your network, go download our free app. Going to vmpr.org. And uh, Jess, I can't believe the week is in. I'm hoping I'll be back uh, full steam ahead on Monday. Brother Jess, what state should we be living in, brother? Last time I checked my GPS, we're called to live in the state of sanctifying grace when we're called not to live in the state of mortal sin. And, and, and uh, again, as Catholics, what's the goal? Become holy or die trying. We're called to be saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. We, you were born to stand out. Terry. Amen. Life is short. Eternity is forever. Remember our lady said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. This is a good day, Friday. What sacrifice are we going to make for the salvation of souls? You decide what that would be because it's efficacious. Up next, Bible with the Barbers here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Get our free app by going to vmpr.org and you can listen to the shows and all the shows we have here. May God richly bless you and God love you and your family.